Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Catalyst. Uh, my name is JR. I'm the teaching pastor here. Sorry, let me get situated. And uh, I didn't know it actually probably until Nathan picked the song as the cover this morning, but that, that song is about the end of the world. Uh, the horses in question there are the four horsemen of the, of the apocalypse uh, that, are, that are coming. And it might seem like a strange song to open Advent with, but Advent is actually all about anticipating what we call the second coming, God's return to the earth. So I want to ask a question, uh, just for, sort of for you to think about. When, when I say the second coming, what comes to your mind? Okay, maybe it's sun blacking out, or the moon turning to blood, four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, I bet there's one thing, at least if you grew up in evangelical circles like I did, that definitely comes to mind, and that's the rapture. Okay? Uh, about when, when I was like a really, really young kid, all kinds of churches showed a movie called A Thief in the Night, which was about the rapture. It was about people being taken away. And, you know, and uh, for some reason, this is not in the Bible anywhere, but for some reason in every rapture story, whenever people get raptured, they leave all their clothes behind. And so people just see little piles of clothes everywhere. Or sometimes they're like stretched out in whatever activity those people were doing. Uh, when I, was, when I was in high school, it was when the Left Behind books started coming out, um, and, and so those were super, super popular international bestsellers, again, about the world after the rapture. It opened, you know, the first book opens with the, the rapture, and you know, uh, planes crash because they don't have pilots anymore, and cars veer out of control. I'm sure you've probably seen the bumper sticker since we live in Texas, right? It's all over the place. It says, uh, warning, in case of rapture, this car will be un unmanned, right? And it's all over the place. Listen, right, like there's this idea that, that at some point in, uh, when, when the end of the world starts, God's going to sort of dip down out of the clouds and scoop up all of the good people, right, all the Christians, and, and take them off into heaven. And then everyone else is going to be stuck here uh, while the world descends further and further into chaos and madness. Uh, it's, a pretty dark, it's a pretty dark idea. And if it sounds familiar to you, then I have some probably fairly surprising news, which is that the whole idea of the rapture is actually not anywhere in the Bible. It's something that, that uh, some Christians came up with uh, around 200 years ago. Uh, and, and we're talking about this today because here at the beginning of Advent, what we're actually trying to confess today is that the world belongs to God. This is God's world. God created the world and God loves the world. And the whole idea of the rapture, that God would, would take all of the, the good people out of it and, and leave the rest of the world, just sort of abandon it to the forces of evil, runs completely counter to the good news that we see in Scripture, which is that God has not abandoned us and God will not abandon us. And so we're going to begin by celebrating this morning and by singing about the God who loves us uh, so much that, that God would never consider abandoning us or the world that we call home to the forces of evil and darkness. So uh, I'm going to invite you to stand with us here in a minute. But before we do that, uh, because it is Advent, one of the traditions that we observe here, that's something that we share with, with Christians all over the world, is to light Advent candles. And when we do that, we're, we are lighting them to uh, symbolize that we are waiting, that we are anticipating God's Advent, God's coming. And so every week we're going to have a family from the congregation, some of them who are here in the building with us, some of them who are, some of y'all who are virtual, uh, and you're going to, they're going to read scripture for us and they're going to light uh, one of the candles. And so today we have the Russell family. Would you welcome them as they light our first candle? 
Advent is a season of anticipating. We look forward to Jesus' return to bring justice and peace to the whole world. We learn how to prepare well by looking back at our spiritual ancestors. Today, we hear the prophet Isaiah's dream for the future of God's people. The word that Isaiah, son of God, son of Amos, saw considering Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord, Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream into it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountains of the Lord, to the house of the Lord, of God, of Jacob, that God may teach us God's ways and that we may walk in God's path, for out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. God shall judge between nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Today we light a candle to remember that God loves the world. Advent is when we celebrate that the whole world belongs to God, and God will not abandon the world or us. It is the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent is technically the beginning of the church year. As I mentioned before, it's like the fiscal year, right, where it doesn't really correspond with the January to December. So our, our church year begins with Advent, and that's, I think, pretty provocative because Advent is a season where we are waiting and preparing. So, uh, you know, typically the way we celebrate New Year's is by making a bunch of resolutions and trying to hit the ground running and do, do, go, 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 go. And in the church, we begin by waiting, by anticipating, by preparing. So it's, it's really a countercultural sort of a thing to start uh, by acknowledging that we are not the ones who are running the show, right? The story is not centered on us, it's centered on the one who is to come. And so historically in the church, we celebrate Advent by uh, looking ahead, by preparing for Jesus's return. Advent uh, is really all about the second coming, and it's about, re it's about recognizing that the story is not over, the end has not arrived yet, and God is still at work in the world. And so we find it helpful to look back at how people prepared for Jesus's first arrival on the first Christmas, uh, and that helps us learn how to prepare for the second, the second arrival, the second coming. So today we're starting with that question that I think is a good one to start with, right, which is whose story is it and how does the story end? Right? Well, obviously, in the church, it's not a big spoiler to say we, we believe this is God's story, that God is the driver of history. God is the one who is moving and affecting, and we live in response to God's uh, action. 
And I think it's easy for us to confess that God is the creator, uh, that, that, that God created the world, that God began the world, but somehow when we get then to how the story's going to end, which really is about what kind of story we're telling, right? Uh, we, we, again, a lot of us have this idea that God's going to leave the world behind and take just all of God's people uh, in tow off to some other place like heaven or whatever, right? And then leave the world that God created with a bunch of people that God created to uh, literally just go to hell. Uh, and, and again, that, that, uh, I think when you say it like that, it becomes clearer and clearer how the idea of the rapture and, and God leaving and abandoning the world is bad theology. Uh, but but I, don't think, I don't think it always hits us. Uh, when, when I was kind of in between Thief in the Night and Left Behind growing up, there was a song that was pretty popular in evangelical circles, but when I was a kid, DC Talk was like the big Christian band, and they covered it. I remember when they covered it, and it was, it was a big deal because you could only get it on their live album, folks, okay? Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but it was a song called I, uh, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. I don't know if you remember it, but it was like a, two men walking up a hill, one disappeared, and one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. So it was like this real doom and gloom song, right? About how Jesus is going to come, he's going to take away the good people, and everyone else is going to be super sad that they got left behind, right? Even at the end of the song, he's like, there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind, right? So you didn't want to get left behind. That was the whole point of the left behind books, right? That's bad. Uh, I bring all of that up because the text that we're starting with today, which is the, first, the, the lectionary reading for the first Sunday of Advent, comes out of Matthew 24. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn over to Matthew 24 with us. Uh, Matthew 24 is one of the key passages that people who teach about the rapture use. And you'll hear why in a second, right? Um, but actually, we're just going to slow down and kind of read it carefully. And I think you'll see that it actually teaches the exact opposite of the rapture. Uh, in a way that I find to be really refreshing and empowering and hopeful, okay? Uh, so Matthew 24 actually happens during what we call the Passion Week, Jesus' last week of life. It's about the middle of the week, so he's already made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he's already cleansed the temple, and things are getting more and more and more tense. The, the week is obviously building towards a climax of some kind. Uh, now, in hindsight, we recognize that that climax is that Jesus is going to be crucified and buried and then raised in three days, okay? His disciples did not realize that. They were not taking notes. They were not paying careful attention, in part because they had been uh, uh, kind of uh, put to sleep by the siren songs of their culture. What they thought was going to happen was an event that the, the prophets of the Hebrew Bible called the Day of the Lord, Okay? This is the day when God comes to the earth to reclaim the world, punish the wicked, reward the righteous, and establish a peace and justice-filled rule once and for all. Okay, the day of the Lord. Lots of the prophets talk about it. If you just kind of skim the prophets, you'll see them mention it all over the place. So as the, as the conflict is heightening, as, as the climax is building, this is what the disciples are anticipating, that they are probably only days away, maybe hours away, from this moment that has been foretold by their ancestors for over a thousand years, right? The day of the Lord. 
And so they ask Jesus, hey, are, like, we're getting close, right? What are we talking, like, tomorrow, Thursday, Sunday, right? Like, what, like how, how close are we, Jesus? And so Matthew 24 is Jesus' response to them. And his, his overarching goal is to convince them that they're asking the wrong question, that when is this going to happen is not the right thing they should be focused on. And that maybe even by asking when and focusing on when and trying to figure out when and doing the timelines and the graphs and the charts to to determine exactly when, they're missing what they should really be focused on. Okay, so so we're going to read this together and just sort of try to listen to Jesus' advice for those of us who are sort of wondering, like, uh, yeah, how much longer do we have to deal with all this? Okay, so let's begin. Uh, This is verse uh, 36. So Jesus says, okay, however, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or not even the son himself. So Jesus is like, look, guys, I I don't even know. Okay? Only the father knows. Now, when the son of man returns, it will be like it was in, the, in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time Noah enters his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the floods came and swept them all away. That's the way it will be when the son of man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken and the other will be left. You can see where the rapture people get it, right? There's the two men working. They're not, they're not working in a field. They're walking up a hill because field doesn't rhyme with still, standing still as well, right? So there's like artistic liberty there, right? Just sort of change the setting. But Jesus said, two guys, are, two guys will be working and one will be taken and the other will, will be left. Right? Two women are grinding, and one will be taken, and the other will be left. So like that, that sounds like classic rapture theology, right? That's, that's why rapture folks use this. And they say, you, yeah, you better make sure that you're not the one that's left behind. Woo. But did you catch that bit where Jesus said, when I return, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah? Let's read that again. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time Noah entered his boat. And people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So here's what you ask then. In Noah's day, who was taken away? Was it the righteous? No, it was the wicked. The wicked were the ones who were taken away. And in Noah's day, who was left behind? Was it the wicked? No. It was the righteous were the ones who were left behind. And Jesus says, that's how it's going to be when I come back. Not, I'm going to come back and take away all of the righteous. No. The wicked will be taken away to judgment. And the righteous are the ones who get Left behind. Ooh, right? That's. See, again, I suppose probably a good bit of my uh, anti rapture theology stuff is just like childhood trauma that I'm working through, right? And that's fine. But, but a good bit of it is also the reality that it's, it's actually bad theology, it's harmful theology. 
Because it wants us to imagine that God created a world that God plans to abandon to the forces of evil. And you just don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Let's do a very brief, quick tour. In John 1, John says, this is how John opens the whole gospel. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The world gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Okay, the darkness doesn't get to win, not when it comes to God's world. In Hebrews 1, chapter 2, or sorry, Hebrews 1, verse 2, uh, the, the preacher of Hebrews says, And now in those final days he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son he created the universe. Okay? Not only did God create the universe through Jesus, but Jesus gets the universe as Jesus' inheritance. Okay? Would be a pretty lousy inheritance if God abandoned it and gave it over to the forces of evil and injustice. There's a song that the writer of Colossians quotes in the opening chapter of Colossians that goes like this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and he is supreme over all creation. Because through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Does that sound like something God's planning to abandon? Right? And then let's not forget, like, literally the most famous verse in the Bible that has escaped the Bible and made it onto placards at baseball games, right? John 3.16. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. This idea that somehow God is going to abandon the world and give it over to the forces of evil while all the good folks just like kick their heels back somewhere else, it's just not something you can find anywhere in the Bible, friends. And I submit to you that that's actually really good news. And so I want to bring the worship team back up because I want to pause here and I want to just celebrate this. I want us to hold on to this truth. Young, come on up. Um, I, I, I want us to celebrate this truth in song and in singing it more than just an intellectual exercise, right? I want, us, I want us to respond to this with some celebrating. So would you stand with me as we sing again? And have a seat. Uh, so obviously, like when the disciples were asking Jesus about the end, they were not asking about the rapture because that, that idea is only a couple hundred years old. They, they, that was not something that they were considering. They, they were wanting to know uh, when do we win, right? When does Jesus come back? And, or when, do, when does Jesus, he didn't, he, they didn't think he was coming back, but he wasn't gone yet, right? Uh, they were, when does he rise up and, and kick out Rome and reestablish David's throne in Jerusalem and, and conquer, right? That, that's, that's what they were asking. And I, I mean, there's, there's a way where... I don't know that a lot of our holiday preparations are, are triumphalist, I guess. I mean, we don't have a lot of, like, War on Christmas folks in here, right? Um, but but I, do think that, I do think that there are ways that we prepare for the holiday that can be escapist. Uh, in fact, uh, Christina, I think you were the one talking in the chat, right? You're like, why do I watch these Hallmark movies when I know exactly, like, I know not just how they're going to end, right? You, like, know the beats 
all the way through the movie. They're entirely predictable, uh, but like that's on purpose. They're meant to be. They're not designed to be movies that challenge. Uh, they're designed to be movies that comfort. And um, again, I think there's a place for that, right? I think there's a place for what we would call escapist literature, escapist film and stuff like that. Um, but I think we need to be careful, particularly around the holidays, uh, when we are leaning into the Christmas machine, right? The shopping and the decorating and the party planning and the, uh, the 75 secret Santas that we might end up in if we're not careful and all that kind of stuff, right? We need to, be, we need to just watch ourselves because there is a tendency that I think is baked into a lot of the commercialization of the holiday that's designed to be escapist, that's designed to sort of numb us to whatever's going on. And so if we have... Uh, stress at work or stress with our families or stress, you know, financial stresses or whatever, there, there can be a desire to just put on a comforting movie, whether that's like a movie that's designed to be predictable or one that we've seen a million times or whatever, and, or, or, you know, just kind of uh, close our eyes and charge it or what, like there's all these ways that we're tempted to shut ourselves off and to numb ourselves and to just go, just coast, and just kind of go on to autopilot. And I think there's a way in which that's kind of what the disciples were hoping for, because they were experiencing a lot of tension at that point in the Passion Week, right? Uh, and again, we know that, that, that it, it didn't end great. But ultimately, Jesus has some clear instructions for them about Given the fact that we don't know, and Jesus didn't even know, when the end is coming, when the day of the Lord will actually get here, what are they meant to do in the meantime, right? If they're not supposed to ask when, what are they supposed to do? And so here's what Jesus says. This is in verse 42 through 44 of, of that passage in Matthew. Jesus says, uh, this is after he says, right? It will come like a thief in the night and uh, one person will be walking up a hill and disappear and all that, right? He says, so you, you too... You must keep watch because you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, right? If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You must also be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Okay? That's what Jesus says, right? You don't know when, when, when I'm going to return. So what you should be doing is paying attention, being awake, staying alert, being ready. Right? Thieves don't text you, hey, I'm thinking about dropping by at 2.30, maybe 2.45 if there's traffic on 30, right? If they did, there'd be a lot less robberies. And that's what Jesus says. I'm going to come when you least expect, so, so be awake, be prepared, be paying attention. So what we're going to be doing for the rest of this Advent series is we're going to be talking about what attentiveness during this season looks like in the midst of our preparation, right? As we are continuing to prepare for Christmas and, and do all of the things that our Christmas pre preparation entails, how do we be attentive? And, and we're going to see that. We're going to see that a big part of being attentive is making sure that we are being open to God and making sure that in the, the chaos that so often consumes this season, we don't lose our connection to God, that we are still creating space for the Spirit to continue to shape and form us. On the other hand, we are making sure that we are remaining open to neighbor love. It sounds counterintuitive, but we've all been there, right? That the planning of the celebration can actually get in the way of the actual people at the celebration. 
right? And, and the, the people that we're shopping for or planning to travel to be with or whatever become obstacles to our perfect Christmas, right? I mean, we've all been there probably. And so this is a reminder here that love of God and love of neighbor, these are the things that Jesus asks us to be attentive to, that he warns us to be attentive to. When he does come back, will he find that we are ready? Will he find that we have been loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength? Will he find that we have been loving our neighbors as ourselves? Or, or will he find that we've been put to sleep by the culture of consumerism that we live in? And that we've just been kind of going through the motions trying to survive? It's an important question for us to ask, and it's one I want us to take into communion. Because this is a place that requires intention from us. Every week, God invites us to this space, and every week we have the opportunity to respond, to say yes. And so before we come to the table, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of examine. And this is about uh, not only the week that's brought us here, but the, seasons ahead, the season that is ahead of us. And it's about how attentive we are to the God who, uh, not to, not to uh, beat a dead cliche, right, but is the reason for the season. And so I want you to think about the week that has led us here. And yes, I know that that week included Thanksgiving, so it's going to be a little uh, wobbly for some of us. But when, when in the last week have I made space for God? And when in the last week have I made space for my neighbors? Now, in this Advent season, with Christmas uh, five weeks from today, what might be a barrier to making space for God and my neighbors? Finally, what does being alert and preparing well 
look like during this Advent season? Let's pray together. God, you have gathered us today to hear this incredibly good news that, that this world belongs to you and that you will not cede it to the forces of evil and injustice. And we confess that uh, it feels really difficult for us to believe sometimes as it just feels like the world is getting worse and worse in, in, in a lot of ways. And so we come to your table this morning and we, we come uh, by faith, trusting that the things that you say about yourself and about us and about your world are true. We bring our doubts and our confusions and our anxieties and our disbeliefs and we, we offer them to you uh, at your table. And in exchange, we receive these elements. We pray that in receiving them, we might also receive the grace to be open to your Holy Spirit, to be transformed evermore into the image of your Son. And that we too might love the world the way you love the world. Make us a people who is alert and attentive during this Advent season so that we may enter into the celebration of Christmas uh, with eyes wide open and aware of how you are at work among us and at work in our world so that we might have the hope and the faith to engage your world well. We have these prayers now. We approach your table in the name of your son, Jesus. The night Jesus was betrayed, he shared this meal with his disciples. And during that meal, he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. When the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink. And as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns. Uh, friends, as you're going today, I want to thank all of you who are continuing to give here at Catalyst. I uh, really appreciate uh, that, especially, you know, during this holiday season. It's a time when we uh, have a lot of options to, to put money elsewhere, and so we really, we're really thankful for that. Uh, thank you also to our volunteers who uh, create this space for us every week, both the, the physical space and the virtual space. Um, again, really thankful for you. Uh, as you're going now, I want to challenge you. Uh, I, I think this idea of how we remain attentive during Advent, remain attentive during the season leading up to Christmas, uh, can actually be a really difficult one. And so I want to challenge you to take this with you into your week and spend some time each day meditating on that question and praying through that question. Um, you can use the scripture that's in the discussion guide um, and the, you can either get in the virtual beaker and the, the YouTube description there. But uh, yeah, this, the Advent is how we prepare for Christmas. And so uh, we are trying to be really intentional about taking Jesus's command to his disciples here seriously. Be alert, pay attention, stay awake. Uh, so I just want to encourage you on that journey with us. What happens if you spend a little bit of time every day uh, focusing on and meditating on that idea of wake wakefulness and watchfulness and attentiveness to how the Spirit is moving among us this season? And now if you'd stand with me, I want to dismiss us with a blessing. Uh, Catalyst, as you go this week, would you go knowing that you go into a world that God created and that God loves and that God has not and will never abandon? 
would that knowledge inspire you uh, to go in the power of God's Holy Spirit so that you can always be attentive to how God is working around you to rescue and reclaim this world? Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.